And so when our confessions are being codified and written in the, in the 16th and 17th centuries, they're looking back to the Apostles' Creed. They're looking back to the Nicene Creed. They're looking back to the Athanasian. They're looking back to all these ancient church creeds and saying, we stand with those creeds. We're going to continue this confessional tradition and make sure we have guardrails around the faith. <clears throat> make sure we give people um, teaching that aligns with the truth, gives them handlebars, gives them, gives them something to grab onto and say, this is what I believe. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian Theology for your listening pleasure. And we are excited to tell you today is episode one of our season four. Can't believe it. We're already in season four. This season four is called The Reformed Church. So we'll explain more about the content and why we did we decided to do that. And episode one is on our confessional roots. So specifically zeroing in on our confessional roots. We'll explain a little bit more of the lay of the land and what to expect with season four of the Reformed Church and what we'll hope to learn and go over. And uh, before any other, before this conversation, just as a reminder, make sure you stay to the end of this episode. We'll remind you how to get in touch with us through our social media platforms, how to find us on other platforms like YouTube, things like that. But as always, a reminder about the Society of Reformed Podcasters we are a member of. You can find that link in our show notes. Those are other great podcasts out there we encourage you to listen to. Uh, we are like-minded and Reformed Doctrine with. And so you can find a list of those shows as well. You can also find a link to uh, finding a local Reformed Church in your area. So you'll click that link, you type in your zip, and you will find the closest Reformed Church near you. We'll also have some other information on our show notes that pertains to this season and specifically this episode. But those are the main things. And then also we have a thing called uh, Bridge Builder. And that's a uh, our group of supporters. So you can find out ways to support our show and be a bridge builder. And so we will jump into this first episode of season four, the Reformed Church, our confessional roots. How you doing, Pistol Pete? How's it going, Nicky Nick? Yeah, you guys, you guys know our nicknames. Whatever we, whenever we sign in first, the very first things we say to each other are our nicknames. So when Zoom <laughs> first pops up, I'll uh, I'll say, "Hey, Nicky Nick," and he'll say, "Hey, Pistol Pete." If people know where Pistol Pete comes from, then I'm very surprised. Do you know where Pistol Pete comes from? I, at least, I, at least where I think it comes from. I think it comes from Paul Rudd and I love you, man. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have, I, I heard it from uh, <clears throat> Parks and Rec that yeah. the, uh, there's a basketball player who's like super well known in Indiana, like this little tiny high school. And he's always called Pistol Pete because he right. is pistol with his shot, which I don't really know what that means. I don't, I don't play basketball. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a better one. And then Paul uh, Rudd's Nikki, probably better than mine because that's older and probably better now. 
Uh, I, lo- I I love all Paul Rudd movies. That's that's, that's, that's right. And uh, but your uh, Nicky Nick, I don't know where that comes from. Um, it's you know it. what? Um, actually, no, it comes it comes from. Um, shoot, I forgot the actor's name. Uh, Mark, the, like the big, like muscular guy, Wahlberg. Oh, Mark Mark Wahlberg. So he Marky was known Mark. as like Marky Mark when he was like Marky kind Mark. of a rapper. Ah. And so I I took I took Nick Nicky Nick as like my my version of marky mark thanks uh that's a compliment i, I mean it's better than jobin <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah another paul rudd shot out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like that uh, one flow straight over my head because i haven't seen that many. I've, the paul rudd that i know is from like uh um shoot i'm figuring out my movie reference now. it's one where like all of the like, there's three guys that like go to a bachelor party um they go to like like las vegas hangover I know oh, from, like, Hangover. Not, he's not in that movie. Paul Rudd? Am I no. thinking of the wrong person? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh, I thought Paul Rudd was in that. No. I'm almost positive he's in that. Paul Rudd's in uh, like Ant-Man and I Love You, Man, and This Is 40. Uh, he's in um, some movies that you wouldn't even realize. Oh, that's right. No, I was thinking, I was thinking of uh, The Office Guy. Andy oh. Bernard, who's in the office. I was oh, thinking of- gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, so our listeners know, there is no greater TV show on the planet, past, present, or in the future, that will ever surpass yeah. the glories of office. Agreed. I will Agreed. fight you on this. Agreed. I mean, uh, they're, they're mi- we agree on the most important things, Peter and I. <laughs> the and, gospel and, we'll- and the office. The office is the only show that I will find a little uh th- that i'll spend some time watching on tv pretty That's much right. yeah it's only show that you will re-watch multiple times yeah you know it's good if you re-watch it <laughs> you, you also know it's good when the joke on netflix like everybody knows this joke because you can't find a show or i guess it used to be now that it's been taken off netflix about a year from or a year ago it used to be the joke was if you can't find anything on netflix we'll, we'll just watch the office that's yeah. how good that show is yep yep it's a good default or, uh, yeah. And, um, I guess our nicknames, it, I mean, we're, we're could be uh St. Peter and St. Nick, but you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel comfortable calling myself that, but, but you know what I Nick guess, means though, right? Uh, victory for the people in Greek. It means, yeah, it means more like it means victory. Yeah. So it's Nikeo yeah. is, is to win or to be victor or victorious. Nice. What, what's Peter? means rock petros oh, that's right and that's that's biblical mm-hmm. there and you go so we got a rock we got victory and a rock yeah yeah that's right <laughs> there we go. so that's, <laughs> so you guys i hope you guys are, we're kind of going back to like our banter for like 10 or 15 yeah. minutes kind of like soft soft that like that launch angle as we're as we're getting into the airplane as the as the airplane pilot is like you know like southwest airlines is like one of my favorite airlines because instead of them just like we're now heading on our ascents into the clouds at 10,000 feet. They're like joke with you for 10 or 15 minutes, which is my favorite thing. And so I'm thinking like, we, like, we got to make our podcast like that. It's like 10 or 15 minutes of jokes and banter to get the like kind of grooved into it, used to it. And then like, bam, then we go for it. It wore me up. And yep. in my, in my mic, you've been telling me, I sound like a, I'm a pilot. You do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Nick is our, Nick is our airline pilot today. He's, Leading us into the first episode. 
Nice. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a uh, flight attendant. I'd be terrible at that. <laughs> right. You also be too big for that. Yeah. Well, I think both of us would be too big for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Not our, so not our thing. So um, I am fighting a little bit of a cold. So hopefully uh, you guys can hear me okay. And uh, sound better the, than ever. Yeah, better than yesterday's recording. If you guys listened with um, yesterday's, Actually, with it's Gibson. in the future. So oh. this comes out the 14th, so Valentine's Day. So what you can say, Happy Valentine's to you guys. Yeah. So happy Valentine's to both the couples, and Happy Valentine's to the singles, everybody out there. Yep. Um, but this, you guys will hear a future episode that we've already recorded yesterday. You'll hear one that we recorded yesterday, but actually comes out on the 19th. So it's like time works weird when we're recording episodes because you're not like they don't they don't exactly uh, show forth and when we publish them. But yeah. 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 That was with Jonathan Gibson on his um, uh, devotional book. I know we don't technically call it a devotional book. Yeah. But that's just the, what people would you would just cringe if you call it a devotional book. Yeah, it's just so people understand what it is. Like a daily uh, liturgy, yeah. Daily liturgy. Which and, we actually uh, used for the first time last night. Same. Because it's <laughs> it was last night was fe- February 1st. Yeah. And so yep. I was like, I might as well start this now. Yeah, and it was so good. Yeah. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, I, I did this day two today already. Nice. This yeah, we're going to do it. At, <clears throat> we're going to do it at night. Kind nice. of how uh, Gibson does in the mornings. We're, just because like that's when we like are most... Um, consistent around each other is at night. So yeah, right before bed, we, we're doing it. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, so let's talk about kind of why we're doing Reformed Church. What like what these episodes are going to laid out like, and kind of what this looks like. Yeah. So uh, season four. Uh, if I mean, we kind of think about maybe I should just ask why why we're doing Reformed Church because as you know, like season one, two, and three. We started with season one, which I doubt anyone's ever listened to. Very- <laughs> Based off the downloads, things started getting interesting in season two and then really interesting in season three. People are like, oh, you guys have season three. We don't care about seasons two or one, but season three. Season but yeah, two- that's seasons one and two were, were pretty foundational. Yeah, season one was very basic where me, just Peter and myself were winging it, asking very uh, intro, I was asking very intro questions and yeah. just kind of getting, getting everything checked off the box as far as like what I wanted to know. And, and we're learning together too, and, and going through that and getting yeah. used to just even doing a podcast. So it's a little rough around the edges, but yeah. season two spark notes seminary, uh, seminary was very a la carte mm-hmm. type of type of, uh, subjects where you'd get a seminary level professor yep or or and and talking about a specific subject in very in-depth conversation for a better part of an hour yep uh get crash course on something very important yeah i don't know if you do like the same thing i'll go back to season two and like that's who we got for this episode oh my god like i forget who we got for each episode and then i looked through i was like whose podcast is this these are great guests i was like oh my gosh these are this, this is our podcast. What the heck? Yeah. No, we got the cream of the crop uh, as far as the, the some of the leading experts on each of the subjects. And um, they're very recognizable names. Um, but if you don't recognize their name and, and you just, especially if you're somebody that's like a lay person that yeah. isn't going to seminary school and you just want to pick up a subject and run with it, it's a great opportunity yeah. to listen to an, an episode. 
very doctrinal, very, yep. very doctrinal. Yep. Yep. And then season three, we were blessed from Crossway Publishers to get uh, gifted the, the Covenant Theology book. Yep. And uh, it just so happens that each chapter, the amount of chapters there are is the perfect amount for uh, amount of episodes yeah. in a season. Yeah. It worked really so well. We, so we walked through that. Some were with just you and I, and some were with either the author of that chapter or somebody we personally knew that could cover that chapter as well. Yep. yep. And that was, that was season three. And then we did big book club, which is a massive new endeavor. That <laughs> yeah. is, uh, Bigger than both of us thought it would be. Oh yeah. Because I mean, I think a majority of our time, those, those like of you guys reading. who are watching on YouTube, see some of the books and we got like, we, we got, we got a, an insane amount of books last year. Oh man. I but think it's, the, it's been huge. The, the biggest stress is explaining to my wife why I'm getting all these books and where we're putting them and yeah. how, like, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, this is, which is like each, the most reformed conversation you can possibly have at home is do oh, you yeah. have enough bookshelves for all my books? I know, you know, you're, you're reformed when you have that, those conversations with your wife. It's like, where, where <laughs> yeah. to put or your husband. If, you, if wives are listening to this, you have that yeah. conversation with your husband. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Where to put all the books. <laughs> yeah. So we try to read all the books, surprisingly enough. As impossible it is, uh, we try, and, and I'll be like, we only have so much time. So some of the books, I'll read the the con, like as much as I can. Yeah. You read uh, as much as I can, too. Yeah, I mean, there's some of them I've read cover to cover, but e- either way, that's the kind of the summary of our of our show. So leading that long background yeah. over explained explanation of our back. <laughs> why so why did we and i gotta ask you this because you kind of are the brains behind what we're doing in season four why are we doing the title the reformed church yeah what are we hoping to edify what are we hoping to go over yeah so we like like nick said we we started with kind of over over overarching on the bible kind of in Kind of specifically and in general for season one, uh, for people who don't know about it, it was it was very basic, very lay level, very kind of non-Christian, Christian friendly uh, in that aspect. So we're, we talked about that for 15 episodes and we said, OK, now we have like somewhat of a basis in the Bible. Let's let's dig deeper into some of the doctrinal stuff. And that was season two. So we brought some of the um, some kind of subject area experts of if you want to talk about eschatology the study of end things you talk to greg beale so we had greg beale talk about eschatology if you want to talk about the westminster standards which we'll talk about again pretty soon if you want to talk to the guy you talk to chad van dixhorn and so we talked to chad van dixhorn uh and that was season two and then season three like he said so now we have like hopefully a pretty good basis <clears throat> or maybe an introductory basis on some doctrinal issues some christian doctrine some some reformed understanding of the bible then we moved to, okay, how do we structure the Bible? How, like, how is the Bible itself structured? And that was season three, and that was covenant theologies. We went from biblical, exegetical, <clears throat> to historical, and some like theological stuff. And so, okay, now we see how the Bible is structured. And then we kind of, we, like, as we were thinking through season, season ideas a couple months ago, <clears throat> the, the, big, the big thing was, okay, now that we, we've talked about the Bible, we've talked about the structure of the Bible, how does it actually play like how does this play out in the church? And so that's like how does this how does the our understanding of the Bible form the church? And we'll we'll talk later on about the Bible forms the church. The church does not form the Bible. 
which is which is kind of a huge distinction between the Reformed and the Catholic. The the Bible forms the church versus in the Catholic, usually it's by the church forms the Bible with canon laws and all that stuff. <clears throat> so that that was that's what led us to season four. We have ideas on season five, but we won't we won't talk about that until kind of closer in season five. But season four was now that we have all this, <clears throat> or hopefully we have this knowledge, how does this inform how we worship? How does how does this inform the structure of the church? Now that we've got a good basis in the structure of the Bible, some doctrines in the Bible, um, how do these how does this play out in the local church? Because the hope is like we talk about in every episode, and like like Nick talks about at the very beginning about like getting your zip code and, and putting it into a, a church finders. We want this app, or we want this podcast to lead you to the church. So the hope is we can define <clears throat> what the church is, what it exists it exists for. Um, various parts of the service, preaching, sacraments, the offices of the church, Lord's Day, um, the confessions. We're hoping to we, we can provide a basis for why do we do what we do in the church. Now, as we we felt like now is the right time because we've kind of built a good base structurally and doctrinally and exegetically on the Bible. So, just what the Bible is about and who it's about <clears throat> to now move into the church. Okay. And then today's episode is specifically going to be our confessional roots. Yep. So what do we mean by that? Yeah. So I'm not sure how pervasive it is, but there, there could be some arguments. And I think in broad evangelical, broad evangelicalism, it might be the case that we're not sure, like how long have we done what we've done? Um, especially maybe, especially so in kind of broader evangelical church, where there isn't like a great historical understanding of the church. We're not sure like how long have we done this? Like, why do we do this? Where does this come from? Um, which we, we may have a better understanding of the reformed church, but I think a lot of it ends in the 1500s in the 16th century. We think, okay, we just got it from here. The reformed church kind of came out of nowhere and then just started in the 1500s with Luther and Calvin and all those guys. And so we get a lot of our stuff there, which is true. We get, a, we get a majority of our stuff. We get all of our stuff in the Reformed Church from the 16th century. But the Reformers got their doctrine, got their ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. They got it from the church fathers. They got right. it from uh, the medieval church. They got it from Thomas Aquinas. They got it from the New Testament, from the Old Testament. So the, the whole thing about today's episode is... Let's not just look back at the Reformation, but let's look back with the Reformation to the formation of the church on how we got our roots. Yeah. And that's such a great thing to start with, with the foundation, uh, is that you're going to, when you start learning about reform, uh, reform theology, the reformed church, all that stuff, uh, it's, it's going to answer the question of when this really started. Cause yeah. I think a lot of people, think that uh the reformed church and and our teachings just like started in the 1500s uh 16th century and the roman catholic church was the first original christian or it was the first original church and yeah that's not true like you're saying and what the reformers are doing is reforming the church back to the early church fathers correct yep and so it's actually because Roman Catholicism was getting so bad yeah. that the, that Luther was, you know, the, the kind of the main leader at this point saying, Hey, you know, 
this is getting heretical. We need yeah. to get back to the biblical church. And so that's why we still say we're small C Catholic. Yep. You know, we're just not Roman Catholic, but we yeah. are yeah. universal church Catholic. We're just not Roman Catholic. And we go back to the early church fathers and Paul. I would even say Paul, the Apostle yep. Paul, would be more in line with what we're doing as yeah. the Reformed Church and the Reformers. The Roman Catholic Church has gone off on a weird. Uh, we can talk more about that at some point. Like, yeah, yeah, they, and that's that's helpful, like framework too. Um, yeah, when we look at the the Reformed Church in the 1500s, yeah, their their big thing. Um, I mean, Luther's big thing, which he kind of started off with, was justification by faith alone, which is then anathematized at the Council of Trent in the 1560s. They specifically go after Reformed teaching. On the Council of Trent, it is astonishing reading through the Council of Trent. Like, wow, those guys did not like the reformers at all, and the reformers did not like the Catholic Church. There was there was mutual. I mean, you can there was mutual hate between both of them because they both thought that they were um, doing terrible things of the gospel or doing terrible things of Christ. Um, but we stand with the reformers, and we think the reformers are truer to the text. They're truer to the text of the Bible. Um, and it's also <clears throat> why we why we're calling this our confessional roots, maybe as distinguished to like our church roots or our reformed roots, because we are a confessional church. Um, you can say, well, why did you call yourself a confessional church versus just a Christian church? Because when you say a Christian church, you're like, well, what kind of Christian are you? Like, what what do you believe? What specific beliefs do you have? What specific doctrines do you hold to? Um, which, yes, we're Christians, but we stand with a long line of Christians in history past. And so we saw, call ourselves confessional and our confessional roots <clears throat> because we have councils, we have creeds from the early fourth century, even before this, the Apostles' Creed, depending on when that was written. <clears throat> we have other stuff <clears throat> from the first century, from the second century. And so when our confessions are being codified and written in the, in the 16th and 17th centuries, they're looking back to the Apostles' Creed. They're looking back to the Nicene Creed. They're looking back to the Athanasian. They're looking back to all these ancient church creeds and saying, we stand with those creeds. We're going to continue this confessional tradition and make sure we have guardrails around the faith. <clears throat> make sure we give people um, teaching that aligns with the truth, gives them handlebars, gives them, gives them something to grab onto and say, this is what I believe. Instead of just saying, uh, we're Christians, we're going to bring our own confession of faith. We're going to talk about our own stuff as if, these haven't been fought for, died for, martyred for, fought through, fought through, um, debated on for centuries, for millennia. And so that's that's why we're calling this our confessional roots, because we can <clears throat> trace our confessions historically, and we stand with the, the historic church, the historic Orthodox Christian church, because we believe the same stuff that they do. That's right. Yeah. We aren't reinventing the wheel. No, we're just pointing to the wheel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're saying, yeah, the wheel already exists. So when we <clears throat> put our confession of faith on our website, if you look at a reformed church confession of faith, generally speaking, it's going to bring up one of probably six documents. It's going to bring up <clears throat> either the three forms of unity. So the Belgic, the Heidelberg and the canons or, or addition to <clears throat> it's going to add, the Westminster Standards, so the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Shorter Chasm, Shorter Catechism, <clears throat> and the Larger Catechism. So all, all of these, we can say, well, we believe this, that like this has already been thought through, this has already been debated, this has already been 
um, put through the Bible ringer. They, they, they put this through the Bible and say, this is, does this accord with Bible teachings? So we don't have to like start a church and say like, we have to bring up our own confession of faith. Now our own kind of our faith doctrines, we can say, no, we believe the same stuff that the historic church has believed. Yeah. And, and uh, like earlier, I was saying, we we're pointing to the wheel and that's ultimately pointing towards scripture alone. Yep. yep. Uh, and then what we, what I love, like what we love about the reformed church is because it's confessional it makes, it makes understand. We're all about learning scripture Yep. and, and that we've already had the hard work done for us. So yeah, through, exactly. through scripture, we have confessions, creeds, and catechisms. Like you were just mentioning, you rattle them off and those are, maybe you can uh, articulate what those are, why they were made. Yeah. Because they, because some people say, well, why, why, listen to the Heidelberg catechism or the Westminster uh, standards or uh, the Belgic confession when we're supposed to just read ultimately scripture. Uh, yeah. So, so why, what are these confessions, creeds and uh, catechism? Why are they so important? Um, Cause they do kind of sound somebody that's outside the reformed church. It kind of sounds Roman Catholic. Yeah. Or like stuffy or like too strict. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like- so, how does it actually help our understanding of scripture versus uh, replacing hmm. our scripture? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Yeah, it's and this is um, this goes back to our talk a couple minutes ago on the Apostles' Creed, the kind of those those ancient church creeds um, that we've inherited that, that that us in the Reformed Church should be reciting on a consistent basis to to recite this with saints of old to say we believe the same stuff that the saints of old have believed we haven't changed doctrine because this is the truest exposition the truest explanation of the ultimate standard being scripture um, but a lot of these the the creeds and stuff they were they were forged in response to heresy so heresy in the fourth century um kind of the first to like the fifth centuries tended to revolve around a couple topics kind of broadly speaking tend to revolve around the trinity um, revolve around Christ's divinity and his humanity. And so a lot of these creeds are written <clears throat> as a response by Orthodox pastors, Orthodox presbyters or bishops, whatever they might've been called between the first and fourth centuries saying these heresies that exist right now, one of them famous one being people know of like the Arian heresy or the Arius um, heresy, where there once was a time when the sun was not. So Christ was actually begotten. He was created in time. So look at begotten language, especially in the gospel of John. And he'll say, okay, so I see this. It says Christ is the only begotten of God. That must mean the same thing it means with humans, that humans at one point did not exist. So therefore Christ at one point could not have existed. So he takes an example from the human kind of physical world and imputes that onto Christ pre-incarnation says those are the same exact things so when christ comes into the world that's his like he was created at a certain point in time not eternally begotten and so you get a lot like a lot of these kind of heresies are revolving between the second really the second and fourth centuries and so these creeds and councils are in response and so they say we know that this teaching is revolving around we have to have some sort of statement some sort of standard to where not just our pastors can look at this, 
but our parishioners, our members, our congregants can look at this. They may be hearing these heresies around. We need to have a strong statement that's theologically and biblically grounded that our members can look to and says, no, 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 that's not true. Christ was not created in time. Christ was eternally begotten of the Father. And that makes a big difference. We're looking at his two, two natures. Or if you look at the Trinitarian heresies, where it was three distinct persons <clears throat> that were somehow related, but were each three actually distinct people, or one that was really famous was you have one God who is manifested three different ways, who has manifested himself in the Old Testament primarily as the Father, and the New Testament primarily as the Son, and then kind of in our age primarily as the Spirit. So you get a lot of these heresies that these councils and creeds and confessions and catechisms that they're that they're really kind of aiming after. So one, it was these creeds and councils that they're necessary really be because we're human and we're fallen and we're sinful and we're going to create heresies. And so we need these to properly summarize the Bible's teaching um, through scriptural text, through reading scripture on, no, what is, what do we actually believe about Christ? What do we actually believe about the Trinity? And also they were used, and there's famous examples throughout church history, especially so in the beginning <coughs> that their members were incredibly well-trained. And so to become a member of a lot of these local churches, because they were so member community focused and they were so caring for their congregation, they take care of them, give them housing, um, give them jobs, whatever it may be. So incredibly caring that like everybody around the area wanted to be part of this church. So they knew they were going to be taken care of. And so a lot of the churches had to have some sort of catechism standard to say, okay, what do you actually believe about Jesus? Or do you want to just become part of this church because we care for you? We want to make sure that you're part of this church because you believe in Jesus especially as a member. Um, and so they would have long drawn out catechism processes upwards of three years. Uh, and so by the time that they confessed the faith, they knew the faith, which is also a huge reason behind catechisms and confessions is their teaching tool. Uh, so as opposed to kind of building our own curriculum with a bunch of curriculums that exist out there, we have a ready-made curriculum and it's been time-tested uh, we can give it to our kids. And a lot of these catechisms were specifically for kids. Like the Westminster Shorter Catechism is famous because that was a kid catechism. It's still technically a kid catechism. Um, a lot of adults look at that like, that's super freaking long. <laughs> that's really long. Ah. But that was used for kids when it was first created. Um, and same basic idea for the Heidelberg Catechism. That was used for kids by Ursinus. He wanted to train up people new in the faith. So there's a lot of things. So it's you can summarize it as uh, it was to to rebut or to respond to heresy, uh, and it was also a training tool. It was training people in the faith, uh, and they were forged after years by um, some of the best scholars in church history and some of the best scholars in world history uh, were writing these things. Uh, reformers at their time were known for being intellectually like prowess. They were incredibly bright. So they were, they were yeah. creating these uh, for the church. And so we can, we can look back at these and say, you know what? We might, we might be good to use these. These have been time tested. So it's, yeah, it's rebutting heresy, responding to heresy, giving us good doctrinal standards, but also teaches us the faith. Yeah. They truly are gold created through fire. Yeah, and absolutely. It's it's they these confessions, creeds, and catechisms are a sort of like you said, teaching tool, guide to scripture. 
they, they, they center our focus on the redemptive history of what the Bible explains God's, God's word to us, because we all know you don't even have to have ever read the Bible to know it's a gigantic book. Yeah. I mean, it's 66 books. Who knows how many pages (laughs) it is long. So, so if somebody just, um, asked you a question, yeah, sometimes it would be, uh, you, you'd have to fumble and flip through back and forth. And so what these creeds, confessions, and catechisms do is they answer the main questions that are, um, affect salvation and, and, and responding to heresy. So they are the ultimate apologetic documents. Yep. That's, that's a, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think that was, that's a good thing to, to bring out where if you have somebody who asks you like, who is God, you can from memory go through the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which talks about who is God or what is the Trinity or who is Jesus there we go. Um, where they give you succinct answers to this. And so, and, and that's the thing, like, and yeah, like in a sense, I guess, yeah, the reformed church is kind of this high flighty, like smart people who hear a lot of doctrine, which in a sense is kind of true because there's, it's, it's because on the kind of on the front end, they're really well-trained. They've been, they've been part of a church for years and years and years. They've been trained by the pastor over years and years and years Sunday school, midweek Bible studies, and sun, like Sunday, either morning and evening or just morning services, but they've been trained in this. And so when kids growing up in school are asked by their friends who don't know anything about the faith, it's like, I don't really believe in God. Like, who is God? The kid can, from memory, recite some of these things and give them, hey, these are some scripture references that you can look at. This is a clear and concise definition versus maybe like fumbling around. It's like, well, I'm not really sure. I just know like, he saved me from my sins or something like that, where they're not like sure how to distinguish some of these things um, as well. So it's, it's a really good point to say they are, they're succinct definitions to huge questions that we have to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Again, the hard work's been done for us. It's, it's, yeah. Wouldn't say easy to be reformed this these days but it's a lot easier than people think yeah no that's that's true these these are written down for us i mean think about that like you're saying that the the was my uh catechism guys that's that was originally created like peter was saying kids memorize that stuff and could recite it yep that's that's amazing yeah yeah and it's which i think is kind of um emblematic of our age where you I, I posted on Twitter a couple couple weeks ago that there is a 10 year old kid who's um, a kid of one of the members of our church and he walked up to me after service 10 years old walked up to me after service and asked me I forget the exact question he asked me but he's so well trained on the catechism so well trained doctrinally biblically he asked me something to the effect of Christ's two natures as it relates to the Trinity. Like, how did those two things interrelate? I was like, I don't know. It, like, I don't know, like kids, let alone most adults in kind of broadly evangelical. I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on broadly evangelical churches, uh, but just saying like, generally speaking, I don't know many adults who can like, who have categories enough to ask that question, not like, let alone answer it, but have the conceptual, like, like distinguishing like they know, okay, this is this doctrine. This is that doctrine. I know what this means. I know what that means. Okay. 
well, how do these relate? And so he asked me a question about the relationship and I was like, that's a great question. And you're 10 years old. How am I like, how are you, how are you so well trained already? But his parents make a big deal about every Sunday afternoon, they go through the sermon, they go through the catechism, they, they train up their kids, which is a lot of hard work, but my goodness is a payoff for a lot of these kids and for a lot of these adults. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, remember, I mean, uh, it's called the Lord's day all of Sunday. Yep. So, you know, in conjunction with worship and Sabbath on that day, I'm, I'm going to challenge myself with uh, my kid and my family to try to take a deeper dive hmm. on those uh, with them and I'll, I'll throughout the week for sure. But just kind of, like you said, make a point to use that as the educational tool for your family, because, um, you know, outside of church, uh, well, I'm not a pastor, so mm. my I can use this as a tool to educate yeah. my kid about the Bible and what the Bible says without uh, uh, with being outside of church where they're hearing yeah, that or like, from someone like you. Even Yeah, even so, when you're looking for educational materials for your kids, when you want to train them with the Bible, <laughs> you don't have to like go through all these different catalogs. Okay. Yeah. What's this curriculum? What's that curriculum? How do these relate? How true is it to the Bible? We can look through some of these catechisms. They're like, okay, there we go. That's, that's what I use. Yeah. It's long. It may be difficult, but give it a couple of years. And it sounds like a long time, but give it a couple of years and it pays off. Ah, There's sure. no, but then, like, maybe we can distinguish. It doesn't guarantee that your, your, your kids will be Christians. There's, I think we, we should distinguish that. But what it can help um, kind of bordering on guaranteeing is they're going to know the faith. So if they leave the faith, at least they know it. At least they're, quote unquote, they're leaving something that they've struggled through versus like they don't know it all that well. And so they leave something that's probably not the faith. Yeah. Um, so they're, they've, they're struggling with actual doctrines from the Bible. Yeah, I was thinking of it this way. You baptize them in yep. as, as a member of God's covenantal family. That, that alone doesn't secure their salvation. Yeah. They're just part of the, the covenant community. But our role as parents is to, to um, promise to teach them in the Christian way. And these are tools to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's why these roots are so important for us. These, these confessional roots are so important for us because it's the Christian faith has been taught in a way for a long time. And it's like you said, why reinvent the wheel if we can just go take the wheel again and show it to our kids and say, yeah. hey, this has worked for a long time. Let's continue using this versus what tends to be like kind of a, like it's culturally pervasive, I think, but it's especially pervasive. So in the church where we're a little bit historically ignorant, um, we think yeah. like we're the first people to do this. And so let's let's create the best way, most creative way to do this. We have videos and all that stuff. And things to teach kids and then end up with like a lot of moral lessons, less so like doctrinal understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or we think that because we're modern and in this time that we can do it better yeah. than the old, you know, some sort yeah. of arrogance in that way. Yeah. So before we uh, jump forward, just to clarify what we're talked about, there's catechisms, yep. which is the Westminster short catechism, the Westminster larger catechism, the Heidelberg catechism, yep. And then we could go to the creeds, yep. which is the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the uh, Athanasian Creed, the Chalcedonian yep. definition. Then we go to confessions, 
uh, Westminster Confession, Belgic Confession, then mm-hmm. 1689 Baptist Confession, mm-hmm. Canons of Dort, the 39 Articles, Second Helvetic Confession. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, so, maybe a good, uh, it sounds like a lot of things. And I'm, yeah. maybe there's a question that people are having if you're not well trained or as trained in the confessions and stuff or the Reformed um, confessions. It's like, what's the difference between a confession? a catechism, yeah. a creed, all that stuff, which, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you can think of like, even the terms catechism, it's, it's from catechesis. It's teaching. It's specifically a teaching tool. It's used to teach. And so the, the questions and answers are specifically set up for memorization. They're set up so that you can teach these to your kids, teach them to new, new converts as adults, whatever it may be. So it's, it's specifically a teaching tool. Catechisms okay. are, um, okay. so those are, those are created for that specifically confessions you think even the term confessing it's, it's our confession. It's our confess confession of the faith. It's something that we might talk about in the church. This is something I believe. So there, you can teach them. There's no question about it, but there are more specifically. So there is a summary of doctrine. We confess this doctrine as part of the church. Um, again, there's, there's definitely crossover in some of these things, but confession tends to be a little bit more. So like it's a, it, it, te- it tends to be like a longer answer. So if you look at the Belgian confession, um, there's no question. There's just the confession. There's 37 articles in the Belgian confession and they're rather long. So they're not really meant to like be memorized so much as saying, this is what we believe. Um, so they tend to be longer. Same thing as the Westminster confession of faith. Uh, there tends to be a topic and then a bunch of things. So it's not less like question and answer, which is what a catechism is. So the Westminster shorter catechism you have a short question and a short answer. The Heidelberg Catechism, you have kind of a short question, sometimes a short, sometimes a long answer, but it's always question and answer. Confession is just beliefs. This is what we believe, not really question and answer. Uh, and then creeds, uh, they're kind of a longer summary. They're, they're not broken up necessarily in specific aspects. So it's, a, it's an exposition like the Apostles' Creed. It's te- technically broken up into 12 sections and three like overarching sections. So you have the God, the father, the Lord, Jesus Christ, and the Holy spirit kind of break it up a little bit. Um, but you can think of the creeds as a summary of either a specific doctrine where the Nicene Athanasian talk about either the Trinity or Christ who natures and really like pound that, that doctrine. Um, or you get the apostles creed, which really pounds both Christ divinity and it pounds the Trinity uh, in that as well. Uh, and so you get like a short, concise summary of the gospel in those creeds. Confessions, it's um, a, a summary of reform belief. And then the catechisms is a teaching, usually based off a question and answer, that are supposed to be memorized. Wow, I love it. That was a very helpful way to break it down because I've... I wouldn't have been able to really answer that question before. I've actually, that's a genuine, that's a uh, uh, real question I kind of had is how do I explain the difference between each? Yeah. So also uh, I think of like, I think of uh, the term mission statements Yep. and, and I know a lot of broad, broadly evangelical churches. If you look at their website and they have this like very vague, they made up this mission statements like, you know that we've already had these church <laughs> yeah. mission statements created yep. uh, that you didn't have to have some marketing guy try to come up with. Yeah. Which for should... those listening, yeah, there, there's some churches that 
the pastors or elders may agree with. But what Nick is saying is actually it's it's true for a lot more than you would think. They are marketing. That's like that's what they exist for. It's come to this church over this church because we have this cool cool way of saying that we believe in Jesus or we believe in God. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking about like if you're looking at a company's website or like let's say if you're like looking to change jobs and you look at an employer's website and 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 you see this mission statement it's so vague and fluffy and it sounds like hr wrote it right yeah (laughs) Yeah. and and it's like okay this is the things that they should do that they want to put on paper but i know i'm speaking for a lot of people who are like do they really apply that because behind closed doors i guarantee they break those rules so the same thing happens with churches like if i'm reading a church's website and i see some sort of vague flaky mission statement i'm like are they really actually going through with that? Huh. Are they really doing it? Um, not uh, taking the creeds confess. How how as a reformed church, hmm. if you look at the let's say you've never been to a reformed church before, and you're like, I think I'm going to go. I'm going to look at their website, and I see instead of a really corny mission statement, <laughs> yeah, I see an actual yeah. Nicene Creed on there. Yeah, but I don't know anything about anything, so I'm like. Well, they say that, but how do I know that they follow through with what they say? How do we know as a reformed yeah. church that we're actually uh, trustworthy to follow through for the best way possible that what that we're doing the actual uh, creeds, confessions? Catechism? Yeah, that's. I think that's probably that's probably even beyond even the historical question. Although we have to historically run this, that's that's probably the most practical question we can probably ask during this episode for those who are looking either transition to reform churches or those who are looking for a church or like, there's no good churches in my area. We, we hear that a lot. Like people talking to us that there's no good churches in my area. Where do I go? Like, how do I find a good church? Um, and what Nick is saying, I think is immensely practical for this stuff for like, why, why creeds and confessions versus like making up our own like marketing gimmicky mission statement stuff. Um, and the big reason too, is if you, if you, if you think about NAPARC, uh, North American Presbyterian Reform Council, I keep on saying church, but it's actually council. Um, but the NAPARC, um, each one of those denominations under the kind of umbrella of Reformed or Presbyterian, either you call them denomination or what we're in is URC, which is a federation, which is effectively a denomination. Um, but what they require is these confessional statements, literally to be ordained, I have to sign under this confessional statement. I have to say as a pastor, any other pastor who's in one of these NAPARC denominations has to say, after signing under this stuff, I will both two things. I will both teach in accordance with this confession. So those who are under my teaching will get stuff that agrees with this confession, but also I will not teach against this confession. So I will not teach anything that goes against this stuff. And so we literally require, we say a subscription to the standards literally meaning we sign under the, the confession saying we will not, we will not teach against this, but we will teach for this or with this or in accordance with this stuff, which is where when you go to a reformed church, that's denominational. Some people may think, well, I don't, I don't want to go to denomination. It's, maybe if I can say it flat out, if you don't go to denomination, you don't know what you're walking into. There's just, there's really no other better way to say that other than saying you're walking into like, sorry, like it's, it's a, it's a hit and miss. If you go to a great non-denominational church, that is probably the exception 
rather than the rule. Those exist. There's a hundred percent true. Those exist. Um, we've both been to great non-denominational churches, but that is the exception. That is not the rule. Uh, more so the case in the reformed church, the denominations, it tends to be the rule, although there are exceptions. There are exceptions to the rule. So you can flip it. Um, so that's, that's why when you have a creedal statement or you have a confessional statement on a website, you may not know what to do with this stuff, but you want to see, okay, is this church, is it denominationally led? Is there a presbytery over it? Is there a classes over it? Is there a governing body of elders making sure that this church, this pastor, these elders are consistently under confessional standards and that they have someone to, they have an authority over on top of them that will discipline them if they teach against the standards, which that does happen a lot. Um, happens to PCA, happens to URC, OPC, uh, any one of the reformed denominations. A member of the church can go directly to the council. They can go directly to the overseeing presbytery and say, my pastor is not teaching according to scripture. He's teaching against the confessions. And then that pastor gets examined by the presbytery classes, whatever it may be, and either disciplined, he's either let go, or he's forced to kind of rework his views, go back to school, whatever it may be. You don't have that. If you go to a place that is not denominationally founded or denominationally led, you have nowhere to go to if you want to make sure that your, your pastor or your church is, is teaching good doctrine. It's up to them and up to them completely. Um, and sure, they may have like mentors and stuff, but nobody that they're accountable to. Nobody can literally take, you out of, take them out of their job. Um, which is why this stuff is so tremendously crucial. It's your pastor, your church has to be under some of these denomination oversight. Um, and they have to be signing under a confession that they're liable to teach in accordance with, which is why like cool gimmicky kind of mission statements really mean nothing because they don't have to follow it. There's literally, there's nobody making sure like you talked about with companies where you like you deal with this as a salesman, um, there's nobody holding them to this. There's nobody like who's going to slap their hand or take them away from the church and say, no, 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 this does not accord with our confessional statements, um, which leaves a lot of members who are looking for a good biblically based gospel preaching Christ-centered church that leaves them aimless. They don't know what to look for. They're not sure. Okay. Is this church good? Is this church good? Well, they say they believe this. Is anyone really holding themselves accountable to right. this? That's, that's why confessions, the creeds and stuff, where you know this church is under authority. This church is under authority by people who make sure that they're teaching with the confession, with scripture versus against it. Amen. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I I can, think... and that made like parts of that, you guys are like, you went too hard on non-denomination. It's, it's because both Nick and I were part of this stuff and we've seen it from the inside. I've seen it from the inside. And again, there are some great churches that are non-denominational. Um, but if you, and I said, if you don't want to be fearful walking into church, whether or not you're going to be um, under a good gospel preaching that's doctrinally sound, we don't know of any other way to go than like go to reformed church. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, reformed church. I think like, all that we both said comes down to accountability mm -hmm. and, and this is Jesus's church, yep. not the pastor's church. Yep. And so when you have an, 
when you have, like you said, totally want to echo, uh, there are uh, not great non-denominational churches. Yep. Both you and I have come from fantastic non-denominational churches. If you're at one and you know you're hearing the Bible, not telling you to leave by yeah. any means, but but just but <clears> you probably that, like you probably know this if you're if you're <clears throat> listening to us long enough, you probably know friends who have a hard time finding a church because it's hit and miss. Yeah. <clears throat> so I I hate to bring this up as a specific example, but I think it rings true to kind of get get clarity. There's checks and balances with a denomination, especially the Reformed denomination with yeah. uh, the Presbyter- Presbyterianism. Yep. Um, like you said, the pastor has to answer to the elders. They go through a board. There's, you know, they can't get away with heresy. Nope. And and and, and abuse. the thing is, there are exceptions to this, but there is the exception, not the rule. Again, right? We flip yeah. it. In non-denominational, yeah. it's the rule technically, and the exceptions are that there's accountability versus the reformed. It's the rule versus the exception. Yeah, yeah, and um, again, going back to more of the the most extreme, one of the most extreme negative examples of a non-denominational to bring up, like Mars Hill with Driscoll. Yeah, you could come out and Driscoll in the early days. I, I listened to that uh, podcast, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill mm-hmm. in the early days of Driscoll, you listen to, and you were uh, involved in or mm-hmm. knew Driscoll. Um, in the early days, you hear him; his intentions are very good, yeah. gospel-centered. Jesus is in charge of the church. We would all nod our heads if it just stopped there, and you're like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm sorry." But you know what happens when there's no accountability? The pastor is a sinful human being, like we all are, and they turn into a dictator. Yeah, and then the church turned into their church, yeah. Driscoll's church, yeah. whatever. Yep. And obviously, and I saw it from the inside. Like, yeah, I, both I was a member. I was an intern at the church. So, I, like, I I was part of video conferences with the whole pastor group. So I, I heard these things. Yeah. So, not which is yeah, demonize- that's that's why we need confessions, catechisms. We need our roots, everything. Yeah, not to demonize uh, things, but I'm trying to add a layer of understanding why this is there for protection. Yeah. Uh, cause we can't trust ourselves no. guys. Like this is Jesus's church. We have to, it's these, these things that we're describing for accountability aren't things that we just made up out of thin air. They yeah. are given to us through, uh, understanding how God is prescribing us to do worship. Yep. So, um, so I, unless you have something else to add to that, I did want to jump into like, so people understand this is probably one of the most common, easy questions that is surprisingly hard to answer. Yeah. No, I if got someone, nothing else to add. If you want to jump into it. Sure, sure. And it might not be totally on creeds, confessions and all that stuff. But when someone says, you know, what is a you know, technically reformed church. Hmm. And I know we, under the reformed no, church, question. there's, yeah. the, and then under the reformed church, there's a ton of denominations. There's yep. OPC, PCA, URC. And if you want to get a little bit more vague, we could even bring in like the uh, reformed Baptist ones or yep. Anglican churches. Yep. And so, and then you're like thinking, well, what about Lutherans? They must be you're like, no, actually Lutherans aren't. They're their own thing, even though Martin Luther was <laughs> the reformer. So there's a lot of uh, confusion about definition. How do you know 
what and what isn't is technically really a reformed church. Yeah, that's a good question. And maybe if we can, if we can shout out, cause we didn't at the beginning of this, we can shout out PNR publishing. So they're, they're helping us a, a, a lot on season four. And so they're, they're providing a lot of our resources. So shout, we're shouting them out. We'll talk about more of the resources that we're going to be using in the, in the upcoming episodes. But one of the big ones um, is Dr. R. Scott Clark. He, he wrote a book, Recovering the Reformed Confessions. And his whole, his, his first, his introduction to the, to the book is all about what makes a reformed church reformed? Like, is, is that a label you can just kind of throw and say like, I'm reformed, I go to a reformed church. Okay. Or does the, the term actually mean something? And he makes the case, and I think that's compelling, that the reformed means something. Reform means confessional. It means uh, not just that you believe confessions, but you're subscribed under a confession, under the authority of that confession. You could be, you probably the next question is, well, why aren't you like under the Bible? Why, like, why don't you just believe the Bible? Why can't you just like, sign under the Bible? And like what you talked about the kind of beginning of this, it's Bible is a big book and it's hard to describe in a few words. And the confessions are the best job of faithfully summarizing the teachings of the Bible. If the confession is wrong, then we reform it around the scripture. We don't do it the other way around. We don't, we don't reform the Bible around confessions. We reform the confessions around the Bible. And so to be a reformed church, very simply, which is what our episode is named, is to be confessional. You sign one of these confessional documents. You say, these are the things I believe. So me and the, the URC tradition um, kind of shared with the Presbyterian tradition is I sign under the three forms of unity. So the Heidelberg, the canons, and the Belgian confession, because that those are the, the confessional statements that I believe best summarize scripture. Um, but also I believe in the Westminster Confession, or I, I subscribe to the Westminster Confession, the Westminster Standards, because I think they're also um, a faithful representation of scripture. And so to be reformed is kind of coterminous. So it's kind of the same thing as saying I'm confessional. And if you're confessional, these are the confessions you believe. And there's a certain way in reformed theology of doing church of a reformed church does certain things because it's reformed. Um, less so you can say like, well, I'm reformed because I'm theologically reformed. If you're theologically reformed, it's going to lead to doing church a certain way um, yeah. based off of what we see in scripture, what we see in the confessions. That's maybe a concise way of putting it. Um, yeah. So that's being reformed is being confessional. Yeah. Like you said, we, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but we, we, we stand shoulder to shoulder with each other. Uh, under the under the reformed umbrella, there's these specific denominations that we stand shoulder to shoulder with, and we agree on confessions. Like you said, like I personally go to an OPC church, mm-hmm. you go to an URC church, even though there's very little like disagreement. We like our confessions are 99.99% the same. Yeah. Um, the only like slight differences are like. The offices, the offices of reform, like in, in the URC are slightly different offices being pastor, elder, or deacon um, right. are slightly different than the OPC, but in no sense does that mean, which also in the Nate park and like confessional churches, you can transfer memberships. So as yep. a member, you can go from a PCA church, you can transfer membership to URC, you can transfer from URC to an OPC and kind of all of those things around because there's a confessional, like people share confessional beliefs. Um, that's why you say, like, like you said, there's communion between the believers 
within these churches, that we share the same stuff. You can't transfer a membership from a non-confessional church to a confessional church, but you can between confessional churches. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, why there's even some differences, because uh, some people are like, well, why don't you guys just all officially come together? Well, there's some historical differences yep. where they come from. So the URC has a Dutch history to it. Yeah. And the OPC has it comes from Machen, you yep. know? And so, like, for example, you would totally 100% agree with the Westminster yep. Confession of Faith. 100%. Uh, and the OPC at my church, uh, prescribes to that and has it, yeah. but if the, correct me if I'm wrong. If the URC, you guys don't really go through it during your. We've uh, we've gone through it every once in a while, and we're I mean we're allowed to because it's a shared confessional document. Yeah, um, which is why we say like under the same confessional umbrella, we believe the same stuff that we may yep. have various distinctives versus kind of non-confessional churches. There's so many differences. There's so many differences between non-denominational churches. There's so much variation. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if you go to an OPC and then you move and the closest, uh, you don't have an OPC in your area and, or even if you do, and you just, you go to a URC or PCA or any of the reformed churches, the point is, is you're going to, you're still faithfully within uh, the reformed church and what yep. we go through with doctrine. Yeah. So, when it's, and that's why, and this can get a little bit testy. It's that's why when you call a Reformed Baptist Reformed, it's what do you mean by Reformed? Are they Reformed yeah. in the sense of the confessional Reformed documents that are underlie Presbyterian um, principles and, and polity and the way we understand the covenants? Where we would we would call them probably closer to like confessional Baptists. Sixteen eighty nine. Yeah, they would they they'd subscribe to the 1689, which does have differences covenantally than the Reformed confessions do, the Heilberg and the three forms of the Westminster, and the revolve around how do you view the covenants, which we would still affirm them, like you still believe the same Jesus. We like we we affirm the brotherhood or the oh, sisterhood yeah. between all of us, but yeah. you will get slightly different preaching from those two different churches depending on where you're at in the Bible, which is not to say that Baptist churches are wrong, but there is a different confessional basis that undergirds them. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I, we, ha we have a lot of great Baptist listeners and guests yep. that we've had on the show. Yep. We agree like on virtually almost everything. So yeah, yeah. uh, they're, they're more like we're brothers and sisters in Christ for sure. One, I mean, you know, we're getting tight on time, but I don't want to forget, we, we don't really talk about Angle, uh, the Anglican mm, church as much, mm -hmm. and that is under the tech, the reformed umbrella. Yeah, 39 articles. Yep. What, what about the Anglicans? Yeah. <clears throat> so there, theirs is a more, um, a lack of a better way of saying a, a church. I, so I'll, I'll admit, I don't know as much about Anglicanism as I do Presbyterianism. Um, cause I've never been to an Anglican church and I haven't researched all of it. Um, okay. but we're, we're potentially later on, and Dr. Gibson is going to give us an introduction to somebody who's yeah. well-versed historically in the Anglican tradition. So we'll probably have an episode sometime in summer um, uh, with this guy. Um, he's an Australian. I forget his name, but he told us about him. Um, he actually he helps edit Reformation Worship with Dr. Gibson, um, which is a book that was published a couple of years ago. Uh, so 
in terms of that, so the, the big difference is they're 39 articles and they have, and I'm sure, I know we have Anglican listeners and I don't know the exact relationship, but there is a relationship with the Church of England because um, the Church of England is kind of built off Episcopalian or Anglican kind of yep. um, structure. There's, there's a different way that the, the bishops or rectors or pastors work within the church, um, different relationship, I think, between kind of the, um, those who reside over the church versus those who are within the church, who are, who are pastors within the church. Um, but in terms of theology, there wouldn't be too much different between us, uh, between Anglicans and between Presbyterians. Um, a lot of it does structure around like, how is the church itself structured? Versus how are they structured theologically? Um, but I can't speak as confidently about cleanses as I can Presbyterians. Yeah, definitely want to at least recognize that those uh, the three larger, more general aspects of Reformed churches we uh, talked about with the uh, Presbyterians and uh, confessional Baptists, as well as the Anglicans. Uh, Peter and I are obviously Presbyterian, yep. so uh, we focus a little bit more, maybe tongue-in-cheek dogmatic on the fact that, you know, Reformed is really uh, more of the pres- Presbyterian route, yeah. but uh, we have these loving, we, uh, we lovingly say that to our... Yeah, to our other, yeah but, that's, but it's also why, like, you guys will see in our, kind of our, our archive list of our episodes, you'll see... We've had on Lutherans before. We've had on Baptists before, Reformed, Presbyterians. Um, we've had on kind of a vast array. We've had non-denominational guests on before. So we had like a vast array of people. So we all agree on the distinctives. And they're, they're kind of leading experts in the specific fields. So we, we, we try to not just like say we do this, but like we actually try to practice that we have communion with these. Um, although like we know that there are some differences, um, but they revolve around confession and stuff. And so... Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that gives people like a good grounding on where our confessions come from, um, why we're confessional, um, how old the Reformed Church is, where it comes from. It's it's not new, and it's yes, it's technically 500 years old, but in a real sense, it's much older than that. It's much yeah. older than the Reformation. Yeah, and so this this episode is called "Our Confessional Roots," and I want to give an uh, one more opportunity for you to uh, hopefully we answered or clarified and uh, gave the title of this episode justice. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure unless you don't want to do this, just quickly, (laughs) quickly through the ones that we mentioned, you know, Westminster confession of faith, the Heidelberg and all those. Yeah. I don't think maybe we did answer this, but in a a very concise way, just some like bang, bang, bang kind of explanation where they came from, by who, why, yeah. move on to the next one. Yeah, we can so do that. We can do that quickly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Go ahead. So you got I'll do the I'll do the big I'll do the big six. Cool. Those are the ones I know the best. Okay. Um, and we've we've kind of talked about the creeds and stuff, but so the Westminster Standards um, is both kind of it's an overarching term for the Westminster Confession of Faith, Westminster Longer Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism. So Westminster Confession of Faith is 33, I, bl- I believe, chapters uh, on the summary of Christian doctrine. Uh, and it's more so from the Westminster Assembly. So they, it was created in the Westminster Assembly in 1646, where it was codified. 
um, kind of by parliament. And so it's 100, 110, I think 115 members of the assembly. And they're thinking, what, what do we believe? How is our um, council structured? What do we believe about the covenants? It's a, it's a little bit, a uh, little bit stronger on covenant language. There's a little bit more covenant language in it. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit stronger on like overarching redemptive history. So they're a little bit better known for that stuff. Uh, and then the shorter, longer catechism, the longer catechism is a whole lot more questions, uh, and is meant for technically adults to teach them the, um, the confession of faith. And the shorter catechism is for, um, kids to teach them the confession of faith. So they're kind of broken into question answer on that. And then you get the Belgian confession, which is written by Guy de Bray uh, in the 1560s. I think it was written a year or two before, or it was codified a year or two before the Heidelberg. Uh, and that one was really kind of written, so it was written in a, um, in a context that was fighting against Catholicism pretty, pretty specifically. And we'll actually, we'll have, on all these episodes, we'll have actually a subject area expert on each one of these. So for the Westminster, we'll have um, actually uh, Nick's pastor. So yeah. John Morris talk about this and, and how this, how he has come to understand the Westminster Confession and what it does and how it's used in local church. Uh, on the Belgic, we'll have my pastor, Denny Hyde, who's written a book on it, who's done a, a bunch of work on the Belgic Confession. Um, but it's, it's kind of answering a lot of these questions by Guy Debray, kind of against the Catholic faith. That's really kind of polemic against the Catholic faith, but also tells us what we believe. Heidelberg was written by Zacharias Sinus, uh, and it's it's built kind of how our podcast is named. It's built off the guilt for the first four questions, or first three three or four questions, and then from, I think it's question four or five to third, or Lord's Day, four or five to 30, is the, is the grace. So it describes who Jesus is, what the Trinity is, what he's done, what justification is, um, all of those things that kind of undergird our salvation. And then gratitude, which is, I think, question or Lord's Day 31 or 32 to 52. And that's now that we know that we're saved, how do we live in response to our salvation? And so it goes through the Lord's Prayer at the end. Interestingly, it starts with the Ten Commandments. So the gratitude portion of the Heidelberg Catechism starts with the Ten Commandments. And it's the law that we've been saved through and from. So it's how do we live in light of this law for us? And then the Canons of Dort is slightly different because it's really neither confession nor catechism. It's a response. So the Arminian controversy, not the Armenian, but the Arminian controversy in the early 1600s, so early 17th century, where Jacobus Arminius and kind of his followers were part of the Reformed Church, but keep teaching contra the confessions so they got brought up in charges and then the Kansador came out 10 years after Arminius's death and came with five heads of both denials and affirmations denials of this is what the remonstrants teach we deny this we affirm the scriptural teaching on perseverance of the saints total depravity uh, so will we get the, the uh, acronym tulip kind of comes from the canons of Dort, um, although it's switched differently, it's done differently, and they're not, they don't talk about those specifically, but they're, they come from the canons of Dort. So that's maybe hopefully a quick and concise summary of those. 
Oh, that was good. That was four. I think he said six. Well, six, six, so the what, shorter and larger catechism are expounding on the confession. There we of go. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Cool. I love it. Um, that. Thank you for that. I, I think that did it justice. Well, and- so I, I would encourage those where I have like just enough knowledge to kind of describe these things. We'll have um, people who know these really well over the next few episodes go really deep into each one of these. Yeah, Morsh, my pastor, Hyde, your pastor, Clark, or yep. Scott Clark's going to go through the Heidelberg. Yep. Um, if I could make a couple plugs before we end yeah, out. Yeah, do it. Um, if you guys want, uh, this is some resources that have really helped me. Yep. Um, if you guys go to your phone and you download the app, and we're not paid by this, by anything. No, this yeah. is just st- straight up personal experience. Yeah. I found, don't ask me how I remember (laughs) finding this app. It's called Reformed Companion. Oh, yeah. And and it's purple. And it's got like a crown looking thing on it. So there's probably other apps like this that I don't even know of. But this one's helpful because it breaks down, and you guys are on YouTube, it breaks down all the creeds, confessions, and catechisms. And and you just hit them and you can read them all. I mean, it's really super simple. It's right at the fingertips of your phone and then um also has the five solas so we're talking about you know sola scriptura sola fides uh all that stuff it also has uh the doctrines of grace which is tulip like you're talking about nope and then uh, my last plug and i'll let you do the honors of ending the episode these books right here didn't have them here by accident yeah. Uh, now that we're yeah. on, now that we're on YouTube, product uh, placement right there. If there ever was sure. one, if you, guys, make, if you watch movies with like Audis and stuff, like driving around, think of this as like our Audi. Oh man, and and I am in a garage, so instead of an Audi, <laughs> right. yeah, I have an Audi parked in here because I can't afford one of those. Uh, <laughs> I have books, so this these books specifically here probably help uh, generally with our whole season four, but specifically even with this episode. Uh, more or less. So you got Danny Hyde. This is uh, Peter's pastor at the yeah. UR, Oceanside URC. This is Welcome to a Reformed Church. Yep. This is a guide for pilgrims by Daniel Hyde, mm-hmm. published by Reformation Trust. Yep. And so very small book, quick and easy to read, yep. very intro level if you've never been to a Reformed Church. Yep. So I'd read that. This one is by Carl Truman, The Creedal Imperative. Yep. And it's published by Crossway. Yeah, yeah. That one's, now it's talking about, <laughs> I mean, it's in the title, but it's why creeds, confessions are, are necessary and why losing them is, is, it's kind of a bad thing. Yeah. So get this copy. Maybe we'll talk about it more on our show. We, yeah, we will. Well, hint, hint. Uh, this one's cool. I kind of picked this one out uh, because I just got it in the mail and it looks really cool. Ref- Reformed and evangelical across four centuries, the Presbyterian, the Presbyterian story in America. Yep. And it's published by Erdman's. Yep. And um, so this one is by a few different authors. So for save time, I won't. Land this <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that, that one's good for like a quick history of Presbyterianism in America. Presbyterianism. Yep. yep. And then these two are by our good friend, Matthew Barrett. Yep. Uh, this is a systematic summary of Reformation theology um, right here. Yep. Published by Crossway. Shout out to Crossway. And another Crossway book by Matthew Barrett. 
the doctrine on which the church stands or falls, justification in biblical, theological, historical, and pastoral perspective. Yep. Yeah, that one's so, good too. Yeah, good like good summaries and kind of introductory textbooks for like a a surface level broad sweep of some of the stuff that we'll be touching on season four. And we'll we'll shout out other resources at the end of each episode on yeah. hey, if you want to dig a little bit deeper, these are some things that you might want to look into. There was two books I don't have here that you mentioned. Oh yeah. Yeah. Clark. Recovering recovering the Reformed Confession, which I actually have right here. It was right next to me. Oh, recovering the Reformed Confession. It's backwards yep. on this. Clark. <laughs> but okay. yeah, from R. Scott Clark. This is published by PNR. Uh, and again, yeah. shout out there. They're supplying us with a bunch of resources for season four. Yeah. Um, so pick up this copy and pretty much anything that PNR sells. And then there's another one, Guy Waters, How Jesus Runs the Church. And it's it's a kind of, again, a surface level, but relatively deep um, primer on Reformed and Presbyterian church structure. So how does the Bible tell us how to structure a church? And we'll be, we'll be digging into that deeper as we get along season four on preaching, sacraments, the offices, all that stuff that are part of the, part of the church. Nice. Cool. So read those seven books. Yep. Pick them up, read them, and you'll know a little bit more about the Reformed Church. Nice. Well, that's it. That's all I got. Unless yeah, you yeah so this else. is hopefully, yeah, hopefully this is a good little primer for you guys. And uh, we'll link these books in our show notes if you guys want to pick these up and um, systematically work through them. And if you have a church group going through this or your family's going through this or your friends are going through this, whatever it may be, uh, they're helpful books to <clears throat> get a broader perspective. <clears throat> we'll also link the confessions and this uh, good, a good area uh, that you can go to for all the confessions. Uh, and then also we'll, we'll shout out like we did for season three and two and one um, next week, we have, I believe it's the Heidelberg catechism. Yep. So we'll be talking to our Scott Clark next Monday. You guys will hear this, who's writing a massive commentary on the Heidelberg catechism. So we thought who better to talk about the Heidelberg Catechism than the guy who's writing a commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism. So you have that to look forward to. And the next few that we already have kind of planned out. So Heidelberg Catechism will be next Monday. Then we'll have the Belch Confession and then the Kansas Door and the Westminster Standards. Kind of those, those, uh, those are the, the ones that we'll kind of shout out right now. But yeah, next week, look forward to Clark, who's Mr. Mr. Heidelblog, talking about the Heidelberg yeah, he's the guy, and luckily we've had him on the show numerous times, so yep. he's easy to get a hold of on our end to, to get on here. So, <laughs> yep, yeah. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. You guys learned a little bit. Uh, if you're not part of Reformed Church, you guys go to a good church. Stick with it. I hope you hear the gospel, but it's the sacraments, and um, are being trained in the faith. And if you're looking for a church, uh, we don't know of any other better place to look for than Reformed Church. Cool. And uh, as I promised on the front end, just a reminder to how to find us and get in touch with us or talk to us or whatever. Uh, Twitter, uh, we have Guilt Grace Pod, our Twitter handle. Uh, Then we also are on Instagram, same Twitter handle. Yep. I mean, same handle as Twitter. And and then also um, we're on YouTube. Probably the most interaction that we do is on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So book book giveaways and a lot of lot more uh, back and forth conversation because it's an easier platform for that so and then our email if you're just old school don't like <laughs> yeah. social media yeah. i get it yeah. i get it it's probably probably healthy uh, <laughs> to just stick with email yeah um 
what is our email address? <laughs> <laughs> it's guiltgracepod at gmail.com. Oh, okay. That's easy to remember. So that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Hey, this is Peter Bell. If you are looking for a church that preaches the gospel weekly and enjoys close fellowship in the Orange County area, come join our growing core group at Santa Ana Reformed as we prayerfully work towards planting United Reformed Church under the oversight of Reverend Danny Hyde and Oceanside United Reformed Church. We meet Sunday starting February 20th at 4 p.m. for Bible study with a fellowship dinner to follow at 5.30 p.m. Email us at SantaAnnaReformed at gmail.com or go to the top of our show notes for a link to be placed on our update list. I hope to see you there. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you after you rate a review or instead of writing review or doing everything all in once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast these guests and most importantly the gospel the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys so please do that it helps get in front of more people amen and hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing and uh after that after tithing if you have any means left over please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy as again we bridge the gap to reform christian <laughs> theology exactly the yeah and you guys can find that link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast a specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further yep all for the kingdom of god thanks so much guys we'll see you guys next time <laughs>